Take your Bibles this morning, please turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 this morning. I was just thinking about the past a little bit and thinking about how many Christmases this is. And uh, I say that, I preface my comments because uh, I just realized this is my 20th Christmas as a pastor preaching. And uh, when you think about that, uh, Brother Steve Tebalt's here, he's pastoring, and we got Pastor Axler's pastoring. There's only two or three chapters in the Bible about Christmas. And it gets difficult to have five or six messages every single year that are fresh and new. And, uh, you know, we're over 100 now. But praise the Lord, the Bible is ever new. Every time we look, we find something that God gives us for that occasion. I'm thankful for that. I do remember, though, the first Christmas in 1998 when I preached the first Christmas Sunday in particular. I preached a message entitled, Three Funerals. That's real cheerful on Christmas Sunday, isn't it? And uh, we had just had a funeral in the church a couple days earlier, and it just kind of spoke to my heart about the Christ of Christmas is to give us hope in times like that. And so I preached on three funerals, and I had a lady, Mrs. Ames, came and told me after, she says, don't ever do that again, or I won't come on Christmas. And so, uh, praise the Lord, uh, Mrs. Ames got saved. I think I've told you about her before. She received a John and Romans in her mailbox. She just she lost her husband at Christmas, and I guess perhaps the message kind of hurt her that way or hit her that way, and uh, she lost him on Boxing Day. And uh, about a week later, she received a John and Romans in her mailbox and had the plan of salvation on the back. And she was born, um, she was born in Holland and moved to Belgium as a three-year-old because her uh, father was, died in the war and her mother died of cancer a year later. So at three years old, she was orphaned and raised by nuns in a convent her whole life. And so you want to talk about born and bred Roman Catholic. And uh, so it was just indoctrinated into her. She took the John and Romans with the gospel message on the back to her priest. And she says, how come you don't preach about this? And he said, if you want to hear about that, you go to that church. And she did. It took her 10 years, but at 96 years of age, she accepted Christ and was baptized. And praise the Lord. And every time she'd come, I remember uh, coming down to Bethel for a seniors meeting. And Mrs. Bug, your dad was preaching. And uh, we, all the way home, she asked questions all the way home. What's this mean being saved? But finally she got the message. And I would encourage you today, the, the greatest gift. We went around the Sunday school class this morning in the back, and I said to the kids, what do you think you might get for Christmas? And we did everybody, went around the room. And the point was, that's not the most important thing. The greatest gift was Jesus Christ. And so I hope you know him today. And if, if you don't get anything from the message, I hope you know this. Do you know Jesus Christ Is he your personal Lord and Savior? I I know we come to church on Christmas and Easter and we we worship God and we believe in this universal Jesus that died to take away the sins of the whole world. And that's true. His sacrifice was made available to all for God so loved the world. But you must make it personal. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Not through the faith. A lot of people say, well, I belong to a church and I am in the faith. No, no, it's through faith, a personal belief in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that all those patriarchs and even under the Old Testament covenant and economy, they were justified by their faith. They put faith in Jesus Christ 
or faith in God, and God justified them because of their faith. Well, let's look at the scripture this morning. Luke chapter 4 is not a normal chapter uh, that we would look at for Christmas, but God impressed it upon my heart this morning as we have been looking at a series called Christmas Callings. You'll remember that a few weeks ago, on the 1st of December, we started with the call of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And then it was the call of Joseph, last week was the call of Mary, and today is the call of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I, I think I've, I've learned since that first Christmas about three funerals that Christmas ought to be about Jesus Christ. And we ought to proclaim his name, and we ought to preach Jesus. Now, we ought to preach Jesus every service, but when we come to Christmas, we ought to really focus and really get down to the nitty-gritty about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's look at Luke chapter 4 this morning as we consider the call of Jesus Christ. We're actually going to look at something that Jesus said in his adulthood that explained his mission, why he came. So look at Luke chapter 4 with me in verse 16. The Bible says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, And stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. For loving us enough to send us your son, Jesus that we might have the opportunity to know what eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Father, maybe there's one here today that would need to put their trust in you, that would need to come to Jesus and trust his finished work of Calvary, what the blood has accomplished for them, the the forgiveness of sins through through Calvary's work. And I, I pray, Lord, that the gospel message might be made clear to them today. Father, may the Holy Spirit work in this place. Help us today. I surrender and I need your help desperately. So God, we ask that you would fill me and fill each one that we might be used of thee. We might learn more about your precious word. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of John begins the same as the book of Genesis. I find that interesting and I think it's significant. It links both of these narratives to a specific time. Genesis 1.1, of course, says, In the beginning God created the heaven And the earth. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the author, John, leaves it up to no chance. He wants you to understand exactly who he is referring to when he says the Word. And so in verse 14 of John, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth, as of the only begotten of the Father. We know that this is Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Word. And so the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God, but also in the beginning, the Word, Jesus Christ. As we think about the call of Jesus Christ, it is an eternal call. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is eternally God. We know that he was there at creation. He was with 
Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was with Noah in the ark. He was with Joseph in the prison. He was the manna in the wilderness and water from the rock. We know that he was Elijah's power and Elisha's double portion. He was Samson's strength and David's portion. He was the fourth man in the fire. And he shut the lion's mouths. He was the prophet's inspiration and the one between the angel's wings in the Holy of Holies. But somewhere along the line, he stopped speaking. And for 400 years, God went quiet. As people listened to hear his voice, they found nothing. No word from heaven, no voice from God. But the problem was, in the temple, it was business as usual. Would you think about that with me this morning? God had essentially left Israel. The Bible says in the Old Testament, he likened it to divorce. They had gotten into idolatry and paganism. And for 400 years, God would judge Israel just simply with silence. And yet the work continued. Nothing changed. 400 years later, Jesus would come in the flesh. God would reintroduce himself to mankind. And because religion was such a fine-oiled machine by this point, he wasn't accepted. They had done it for so long without God, they weren't about to change things now. Can you imagine as Jesus Christ stepped into this world to a place that didn't want him, didn't accept him, and later would reject him and nail him to a cross. That's the kind of hostile environment that the Lord Jesus Christ came to. But the Bible says in Hebrews it was the appointed time. It was time for God to reveal himself again. 400 years of silence and God desperately wanting a, a relationship with his creation. He sent his son Jesus Christ. And so he came. The call of the Lord Jesus spans eternity, but his work in 31 years is of utmost importance to us today. So I want you to notice just some things from the scripture this morning about the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he come? As we look in Luke chapter 4, you'll notice in verse 18, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah and he's reciting the scriptures to them. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I kind of laugh at little nuances in the Bible that I see once in a while and this is one of those cases. I love the portion of scripture where it says that the Pharisees got up early in the morning to take him by craft. Well, I just kick my feet up in the air and giggle every time I read that. How early in the morning do you got to get up to sneak up on Jesus? But the Bible says here, you'll notice that he took the scrolls and he read from the prophet Isaiah. Can I tell you this? Jesus already knew what it said. Hey, he, he wrote Isaiah. He inspired the book. And so as a matter of process and formality, so they didn't think he was twisting things, he would hold the scrolls before his eyes and recite from those sacred words. And the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to notice, first of all, when we think about the call of the Lord Jesus, I just want to keep it very simple today. He came to reconcile. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. 
In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was reciting on the Sermon on the Mount, and it was during the section we called the Beatitudes. He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word poor that we see in the scriptures in verse 18, I don't believe it's referring to those that are down and out or destitute without money, but it's literally talking about those in Matthew 5 that are poor in spirit. Those who are meek before God, those who are humble and understand their need before a holy God and recognize themselves as sinners. They come to God humbly and say, God, I am destitute. There's nothing I can do to purchase heaven. There's nothing I can do to work myself to heaven. There's no religion that can buy my way into heaven. And so Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. Those that have said, I've tried everything else, but now I repent and I'll trust only in the Savior. That's who came. Jesus came to reconcile. To help those find their way back to the Father. He came secondly, the Bible shows us to revive Notice what it says in verse 17, 18 as well. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, I don't know about you, but there are seasons of life, and I, maybe I shouldn't say I don't know about you because I do know about you, that we all go through. We all are brokenhearted from time to time. There are times where we lose a loved one that's dear to us and our hearts are broken. There are times where we receive unkind words from those that we looked up to and our hearts are broken. But God came to revive that heart. The Bible says he is the balm of Gilead. We are reminded by the the gifts of the wise men, the gold, the myrrh, and the frankincense. And the, the myrrh was an aloe or a balm that was applied to a wound. But it was believed by the ancients that if they applied it to the chest, it was a help to the heart. I believe that gift signifies something to us today that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. We love to sing the song, he healed the brokenhearted, he set the captive free, made the lame to walk again, and he... Caused the blind to see coming right out of Luke chapter 4. But it's so true that God is your portion and Jesus Christ came to minister to you. Here's what we know because of the birth of Jesus Christ that God is a personal God. He doesn't float on a cloud in heaven somewhere, but instead he sent his son. The Bible says this, Jesus Christ himself admitted the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to help you, to strengthen upon you. Uh, Listen, you can call upon Jesus at any time. We can go boldly into the throne room of grace and we can ask for mercy, but we find what? Grace to help in the time of need. That's the kind of Savior that we serve. He came not just to reconcile, but he came to revive you, to to bring some life. And and I think that's a good descriptive word of this situation because when somebody's brokenhearted, they're like as unto dead dried up inside and need the quickening spirit of God once again to breathe life into them. And so we can be revived by Jesus Christ. King David in Psalm chapter 51 was brokenhearted over his own sin. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he said this, return unto me the joy of my salvation. That's the kind of revival we're talking about today. That we can go to Christ in any circumstance and find that he will revive our hearts. And then we see thirdly this morning in our scriptures that he came to redeem. 
And the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Look at that next phrase, to preach deliverance to the captives. Why deliverance? Understand what a captive was. This is not speaking of somebody necessarily that's been imprisoned for a crime. It's talking about somebody who owes a debt. Somebody who has been a captive to a master because they are working off a debt load or they're trying to pay back something that they owe. And so whether they're in debtor's prison or whether they're indebted to somebody personally, that's the kind of captive the Bible is talking about here. And we say that Jesus Christ came to redeem, and here's why, because he paid your debt. He took the burden of sin and he nailed it to the cross. You see, the Bible says that if we are under the law, we are indebted to the whole law. Understand the climate in which Jesus came to, this Jewish country that had been just burdened by the law, and the Pharisees were putting more burdens upon them, and they were captive to do the whole law. There was no freedom. There was no walking in love. It was just rigid religion. But Jesus said, I paid it all. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. One of those laws was found in Romans chapter 6, repeated in Romans chapter 6, for the wages or what we have earned because of the law of sin is death. But Jesus paid it. And he paid it so that he might redeem mankind. He came to preach deliverance to the captives. What is he saying? There's hope. There's hope. Come to Jesus Christ and you can be redeemed. Your debt will be paid in full. Do you know what the religious crowd is doing? They're trying to pay their debt. They're faithful to church. They pray their prayers. They pay their tithes. They do their good works. They give to charities. They walk old ladies across the street. They do and they do and they do and they do but they don't trust. And they need to come to a point where they'll trust in Jesus Christ who says, I can deliver you from all of that. Quit trying to work off your debt and start trusting in the one who's already paid your debt. He preached deliverance uh, deliverance to the captives. Number four, he came to restore. Look what he says next in verse 18. And recovering of sight to the blind. Just in case you didn't think Jesus could do everything, he starts talking about physical healing now to recover us. And I'm not naive to believe that God heals everybody. Sometimes the answer to prayer is no. Sometimes we have to understand that God receives more glory through our suffering than he does through our health. That's unfortunate, but it's true. Sometimes we have to understand that God receives more glory through death than he does through life. And it's whatever gives God the most glory is what we should be concerned about. And here's what I've come to understand. That a million years from now, no matter what we went through on this earth, it's going to seem like nothing. Like a blink of the eye. A friend of mine lost his wife of 65 years and he called to tell us and all I could think to say was this brother McKenzie you'll be with her for a whole lot longer than you'll be without her that's the hope of heaven it's eternal and so though whether we are healed here below we'll be healed in heaven I remember a friend from Bible college 
from our church when we were in Bible college. Young man's name was Wyatt, and he had a young lady that he was in love with. Her name was Renee Bishop. And Renee had come down with cancer in high school. She was about 16 years old. They were high school sweethearts. And by the time they got to be about 18, her health was getting worse. And so he asked her to marry him. At 18, about 18 years old. And I remember 19 years old, they were engaged to be married. And, and they were, I mean, they were planning on this, their lives together. But God had a different plan. About three weeks before she went to be with the Lord, there was a bonfire out at the church and we were sitting around this campfire and the preacher said, what, what's your favorite verse of scripture? And hers was Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. She says, this cancer thing, I'd have given up so many times, but I know I'll be healed. Whether here or in the land of the living. And that's where my hope is. About a week later, she went home to be with the Lord. What an incredible testimony. So young and so much life before her, but I, I remember going to the funeral and seeing folks raise their hand to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and God received more glory in her death than he could in her life. There is a healing, whether it's here or it's there. How many of you are looking forward to a perfect body? Amen? Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful thing? How many of you, the older you get, you're looking forward to a perfect body? Praise the Lord. I, I, I've said before, I believe that's biblical evidence that in heaven we'll all be men. Because we'll all be perfect. I, I don't know. That wasn't very good, was it? There's more evidence in Revelation where the Bible says there'll be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. So I'll leave that with you as well. <laughs> he came to restore. Can, can I tell you this? When I start thinking about these points that we read in Luke chapter 14, it tells me this. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And when you're laying in a hospital bed some night, because we all end up visiting there once in a while, or you're sitting beside a hospital bed, just remember, the great physician's in control. And he has a plan. And you can go to him, because he's personal, and he loves you. You see, Jesus being born 2,000 years ago said something to the Jewish people that they had forgotten about. You remember my introduction this morning? He was the fourth man in the fire. He was the water uh, from the rock. He was the man in the wilderness. They seemed to forget that he was a personal God that was there with them. But now my Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with me. How many of you like that old hymn? And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. That's the kind of savior that we have. Jesus was called to restore. Then we see... Later on in the verse, if we read verse 18 again, came to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering his sight to the blind. Look at that last praise. To set at liberty them that are bruised. That's an odd expression. We've already talked about deliverance. Those that were captive by sin. But this is speaking of bondage by religion. See, what do you mean? The word bruised there literally means those that have had an unfair burden placed upon them. Do you know what Jesus said? 
that the Pharisees put people under a yoke and place undue burdens upon their backs. I believe that this is speaking of religion. There's a bondage, there's a bruising that goes on, this unfair burden that is placed upon us. And the Bible teaches us that he came to rescue us from that. He, he came to set at liberty them that are bruised, abused by the burden that was placed by unnecessary corruption. Let me just repeat what I said a moment ago because they tie together. If you think being religious is enough to save you today, friends, you're bruised. You're unnecessarily burdened. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not be burdened down and weighed down by religion and try to keep every principle of the law. And by the way, no man has ever kept the principles of the law. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he's came to restore you from that, to rescue you from that, to save you from that. Let me give you the last one. I, I, I don't mean to rush through them, but I am aware of my time. And Here's number six, and I'll spend a little bit more on this. He came to reconnect. He came to reconnect. Look at the next verse with me in verse 19, and notice what it says. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you know what that implies? That the Lord had not been accepted previously. That Jesus was not popular among the masses. That this idea of God interfering in our temple worship. Yes, they sacrificed and yes, they went to temple and yes, they offered it. And, and don't get me wrong, there was a lot of people that had faith and there was a lot of people that were sincere. But we see a corrupt priesthood. And we see pharisaical rule and Sadducees and fighting amongst the people and not what God had ever intended. And after 400 years of silence, the Bible says it was now the appointed time. It was a time determined by God to send his sons, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter or Hebrews tells us that in sundry times and in divers matters, different prophets spoke and different people pro, uh, spoke to the, to the people. But now it was time for Jesus Christ, and He would come and He say, "Why?" And here's here's the thought I want to leave you with today: simply to reconnect people to God. Let me say this: they were spiritual people, they were religious people. He came to save his people from their sins. They were people that were backslidden. They were people that were ritualistic. They were people that were just going through the motions. And Jesus said, I want to so desperately reconnect you with God. Notice that last verse, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He says, I want to make the Lord acceptable again. I want him in every home. I want him at every dinner table. I want him part of every conversation. And oh, they were talking about Jesus, weren't they? <laughs> Not always good. But they were talking about him. But that was Jesus' goal, to reconnect people with God. And let me ask you this morning, is he the subject of your home? Is he the desire of your heart? Tomorrow we'll get up some early, open up our Christmas gifts and exchange those things. 
Let me ask you, will you remember Jesus? The world has quickly blocked him out of their mind with all the tinsel and the wrapping paper. It's blinded their eyes to Jesus Christ. But God came in a manger to reconnect you, to get you thinking about him again. You see, for so long, they had done it all without Jesus. They had done it all without God. For 400 years, they thought they were just fine. And it got to the point where Christ came and they couldn't even recognize that this was God, the Messiah. Oh, would to God that would never happen to us. When God speaks to your heart and moves in your heart, do you recognize it anymore? If the Holy Spirit were to show up, in his fullness and sweep across this room and break forth in revival, would you look at it and say, this isn't of God? That's often how we react with a critical spirit about the moving of God because it's new and it's different. And we've done things without God for so long that we don't recognize it anymore. It's interesting how rejected the King of Kings was. The wise men saw it. The shepherd proclaimed it. The angels burst forth on a hillside. A star marked the spot for all the world to see. King Herod, when he heard what the wise men said, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod turned to the other men in the room and he says, where did the scriptures say the Christ should be born? Herod knew exactly who he was. And he covered it up. This was no secret who Jesus was. The people just chose to turn an eye. The Pharisees hated him and rejected him. The Sadducees wanted nothing to do with him. My question is, what will you do with him? Jesus came to make it the year of the Lord, to reconnect you to God. And if Christmas is a reminder of anything, you say, well, we ought not celebrate Christmas. We don't know when Jesus was born. Okay, Scrooge, it is a real good reminder to people of faith that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. I'm talking to saved people here today as well. He wants a relationship with you. He's not just pri providing you life insurance. It's not a purchase and done and over with. He wants to be your heavenly father. That implies a relationship, the word father. He wants you to have a relationship where you call him Abba, father. The word Abba, I, I used to work with some folks that were from Iraq and, and father and son were there and the word in Arabic, he'd always call his dad Abba. Abba, Abba, Abba. And I asked him one day, I kind of knew, but I said, what, what does Abba mean in Arabic? He says, it means daddy. It's like, you're saying dad or a term of endearment. That's the relationship God wants with us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. God has sent his son Jesus Christ to be personal in your life. He came to reconcile you to God that you might accept the gospel message and be saved. He came to revive, to heal the brokenhearted. He came to redeem to deliver the captive. Came to restore, take care of those physical needs, the recovering of sight to the blind. He came to rescue. 
to set at liberty them that are bruised, burdened by religion and the unnecessary yoke of man. But he came to reconnect. Good religious people had forgotten about God. And if I can leave you with anything today and challenge you today, are you connected? A lot of the words we used were Bible words, redeem and reconcile. I know reconnect is not a Bible word, but I think it expresses a Bible thought. God wants to have a relationship with you. And maybe you've slipped away a little bit. Sometimes in our earthly relationships that happens. We have a little bit of a spat or a falling out and we don't speak to one another for whatever reason. And I hope with a child of God that doesn't last long. But it happens. We are flesh. We're sinful. But if you stop talking to the Father, if you've fallen away from having a relationship with Him, here's what I'll tell you today. He hasn't gone anywhere. And He's ready to receive you. That's why He came. That's what His calling is. To redeem you unto Himself. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The piano's going to begin to play. Brother Baker's going to begin to sing. If there's one here today, say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Uh, I understand that Jesus Christ came to redeem me and to help uh, point me to the Father that I might be saved through him and the work of Calvary. And could we help you today? And I, I can't go through the whole gospel message again, but I'd like to take some time with the Bible and sit down with you after the service and show you what the Bible says about knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior that you might have eternal life He is the way, the truth, the life. The greatest gift ever given was the gift of Jesus Christ. Would you come to him today? Is there one say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Slip up your hand. I won't embarrass you or call you out. Is there one? Not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where it's been eternity. Would you pray for me? Maybe there's some others here today say, I just kind of need to reconnect with God. I need to get that intimacy back, that fellowship back with my Savior, my God. And like David of old, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Would you pray? This altar's open even now. Brother Baker's going to sing. You step out and come.